I was on the streets by the age of 13, and I was drifting. So my life goes on, and it carries on with chaos. But I'm not going to go too deeply into the chaos, because now I have hope. And now I don't want to dwell on this craziness, because now it's about how we came out of it, not what we did in it. And... So I'm just going to tell a couple of facts. So by the time I was 16 years old, I was heavily addicted to ketamine, which is a substance, a horse tranquilizer, which is mainly used for animals. I was taking maybe 15 to 19 grams a day, and it was crystallizing inside my body. So weekly, I was in hospital having my stomach pumped, and my intestines were crystallizing from the substance. So by the time I'm... 19, I'm in HMP Elmley on the Isle of Sheppey. Because of my drug use and my associates, I didn't have direction. And I ended up the first night in prison. I remember walking through those doors. I, st- I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know God. I didn't know what was out there for me apart from this pain that I felt inside, this thing that was eating away at me, and I had anger. So I remember the first night in HMP Elmley, I walked into the cell. The two guys jumped out of their beds. There was three beds in the cell. Two of them jumped out of the beds. The guard shut the door, and he said, good luck. He shut the door, and from that moment onwards, that night, it was just coming up to my 18th birthday, was the first time that I had prayed to God, that I had really prayed to a God that I didn't know for help. I remember sleeping in my bunk bed and not being able to make eye contact with the other guys in the cell. If I had made any eye contact, I would hear a blow to the back of my head. And not long after that, I remember looking over the room and seeing a red button And that red button was to be pressed only in the event of an emergency. And later on into the night, the beatings went on. It carried on all the way through the night until they had stripped my clothes off me. They had held me up against the bars with a knife. Well, it was a plastic knife with a razor blade melted on the end. So there I am at the bars of the cell, half naked, singing Bar Bar Black Sheep to the entire prison because I was the new boy on that wing. And now I remember seeing that button, seeing that glimmer of hope on the wall. If I could just get over the room to that button and press that button, the guards will come. Everything will be okay. I fought through them. I remember pressing that button and waiting in hope. And nobody came. Nobody came for two or three days after pressing that button. Nobody came. And that very night, I fell asleep on the floor. I I think I blacked out that night, but I blacked out praying. I blacked out praying to a God that I didn't know. I was saying, God, if you're there, help me. I need your help. Soon after my release from prison, I carried on the same way. The first thing I did when I left prison was go and score drugs. I left England quite shortly afterwards 
thinking that England was my problem, thinking that it was the people around me that were my problem. I traveled in Norway, Denmark, Switzerland, Sweden, uh, you name it, Bulgaria, Serbia, Lithuania. I walked around with my dogs and my bag looking for home, looking for hope. Most of the time with a Hennessy bottle by my side, not knowing how to get out of this, this, this hole that I had found myself in. So by the time I was 27 years old, 27 years old, my life had gone by like that, 27 years old. I remember waking up one morning, Christmas morning in South Bavaria, in a caravan, in a field, knee-deep in snow. I woke up that morning. I had blood all over my hands. My car outside was smashed up. I had no recollection of how or why my car was smashed up. I had blood on my hands. I was on my own. I had no one left in my life. I had burnt all the bridges. Through my crack cocaine, my heroin, and my ketamine addiction, I had isolated myself to a caravan in a field in Germany. I knew that morning something had to change. I knew that morning either, either I had to change or I, I needed help. But I couldn't ask for help. I couldn't talk. All I could do was think about going to the next petrol station to rob the next bottle of Hennessy to drive to the shop and get another one to eat all the medication that I had. That's my, that was my only... That's the way I dealt with situations. And... That morning, I remember, I, I just woke up. I needed to change my life. I needed help, and I didn't know how to ask for it. So I drove my car into the center of this village, and there were two choices at the time. I had a Lidl's store on one side and a police station on the other. And I was, pre I was hoping that the police would take me and that they would look, do something to me. They, they would help me. But I didn't know how to ask for help. And in my logical thoughts, I thought that if I drove my car into that police station, maybe they would take my car from me and I wouldn't be able to wake up in the morning not knowing how I had crashed my car and I would get some help. And I said to myself, as soon as the first raindrop hits this car window, I'm going to drive my car through the gates of that police station. And I waited there, and a raindrop hit the window. And the sky was gray. It was an industrial area of South Germany. And I drove my car at full speed through the gates of a police station. All of a sudden, there was 20, 30 policemen and guns pointing at me. They took me. They, they, you know, they didn't understand. Christmas morning, what's going on? A car's driving through the front doors of the police station. And they took me to the hospital where they bandaged my arms. So I had the guards waiting outside the hospital door. And the window was open. I could see the window slightly open. So I decided to, to climb out of the window and run away. I got out of the hospital window into the back field. And I started running. I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to run to. 
So I walked back to the police station where my car was, crashed into the building, and I sat on the steps. I just sat there, and I could see all the cars whizzing by and all the commotion. And there I am, just sitting there going, that, I just don't know what to do. So they took me, they locked me up. I, I, I went straight into a psychiatric ward in uh, South Germany where they dosed me up on many medications and, um, and they, uh, they tried, to, tried to, to cure my mind. They had deemed me a hopeless case. And um, at the time, I, I didn't have any hope in my life. I was released uh, a couple of months later and again, a spree of overdoses and addiction was hitting my, my life. Every week I would, I would overdose, I would wake up in a, a coma, and, I would, uh, and it would be a regular occurrence to me. So I was so overtaken by needles, by heroin and cocaine, that I couldn't see any further. So one, this last event that really drew me to, to knowing Jesus was I had already done everything I could possibly to try and end my time on this earth. And God has a time for all of us to go and be with him. That wasn't my time. And I remember waking up after being in a coma and knowing that time that I had tasted what it was like to die without hope in my life. See, throughout the years, I had had Christian influences. So I had been picked up hitchhiking the wrong way down a motorway in the rain. The guy had turned to me and said, you're going the wrong way. I'll drive you back to London. It's okay. And I said, you know, it's 250 miles that way. And he said, it's okay. He opened the thing, took out a Bible. He prayed for me and he gave me some money. These, lots of these circumstances had happened pointing me towards Jesus in my life. And right then and there in that hospital bed, I knew that there was something else out there. I knew that I had tasted Jesus. And shortly after, I was released. And shortly after, I was back in the same situation. Even though I had had some sort of some sort, sort of encounter. I was back in the same situation. And everything came to a head not long after when I was returned to another mental institution. I woke up at two or three in the morning and my hands and my neck were shackled to a bed. The bed was at a 90 degree angle and I could hear Russians and Serbians talking and playing cards. I didn't know where I was. And I woke up and I, I went to move. And I couldn't move. I, I was struggling. And my hands and my, uh, the grips on my hands just got tighter. And I remembered a voice in my head saying, Felix, if you pray, pray in the name of Jesus. And right there in that hospital bed, at three in the morning, strapped to the bed, I prayed, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, I give you my bones, I give you everything about me. Take me, there is nothing good left in me. You are the only good thing. And right there, I felt a release 
of pain, a release of everything. I felt freedom. I felt hope. I felt home. I felt everything. Right there in that hospital bed, I felt at peace. And I slept like a baby that night. And not long afterwards, I found myself back on the streets of Brighton, back with the same old crew, back taking, scoring, running, doing things in the same situations, living on the streets. But God was working in my life, and God drew me closer. And I was introduced to a a small church um, and a detox, and I got clean. I got clean for the first time in my life. For the first time in my life, I remember what it was like to have... uh, It was like I I I was praying and praying, and the next morning I woke up, and it just felt like I was... I was different. Something had changed so, so much inside me that I just felt like my, my whole entire slate had been wiped clean. And, um, and that gave me excitement, you know? That gave me real excitement just to, to try and tell the others. And um, so I'm still in Brighton in a, in a detox with 27 other people coming off heroin. And they didn't want to know about Jesus. <laughs> I, I told them everything that I had experienced. But um, yeah, after becoming a Christian, I uh, picked up my bag and went out to uh, northern Greece, where I worked in a, a refugee camp, a Syrian refugee camp for a year, um, which was uh, definitely eye-opening, and uh, to see God's work in that was amazing. But it was in Greece that I first... Um, got wind of Albania, and, uh, and that's where my life changed, really, in Albania. Um, I met my wife in Albania uh, around 18 months ago, and um, yeah, we've, uh, ever since being married, we have, uh, God has blessed us abundantly. God has shown us that it's not about us, it's about Him, and, um, and we, God has just worked it all together and he does for those who love him and for those that put their trust in him it's a simple gospel let's not confuse it with all of the big theological questions and all of the the debates let's just keep things simple do you want to know jesus do you want to know jesus today then ask him just tell him just say lord jesus i want to know you i don't want to sit on the sideline I want to go all in for you. Whatever that looks like in our lives, we want to go all in for Jesus. If that's in our workplace, Lord Jesus, teach us how to go all in in our workplace. If that's going to Africa to, to, to serve, Lord Jesus, teach us what that looks like in our life. But let's not sit on the sideline. Let's go all in for Jesus. And I'm so blessed that God brought me together with Bonner because Bonner's got the same attitude. Let's go all in for Jesus. Let's go all in for Jesus. And her story is very similar. She's going to tell you in a minute. Her story is a story of freedom. Like mine, it's a story about God setting lives free, bringing freedom and, and, uh, and yeah. So we're just, um, yeah, at the moment we're, um, we're just happy to be here, and I think my wife will now go into more detail about Albania and about, um, about how she has ended up here in our church and uh, just the, 
the way that God has been working in her life. So I'm be a help. So uh, is I don't know how to describe it. Me being here, I always like uh, never like to show up to be in the front of the people. But I I'm thinking that God wants to teach me something. I'm still learning that. So I am. Uh, I come from Albania. It's a wonderful country, and uh, have a lot of sunny days. Different than here, but <laughs> it's the only thing that is missing from Albania is the the weather. Uh, in the time, because I'm not so young anymore. In my time, and to talk and to. So you mentioned the name of God was something that you wasn't allowed to do it. So I grew up in a family when my mom was a communist, and the, the name of God wasn't allowed. So we grew up knowing nothing about God. We grew up just being. And uh, we grew up saying from tradition to tradition we are Muslims, but we didn't do much about this as well. So I grew up in a very poor, small village on the south of Albania. And the, here nobody came to preach the gospel because it wasn't allowed. And in my, when I was six, Albania, God wanted Albania to set free. So in the 19th, Albania was set free from communism. So a lot of people around the world came and preached the news, the good news. And there was a lot of hunger, a lot of thirst from God. We wanted to know. We want what's mean. What is that God that is make other people free? What is that God that changed lives? And we didn't know that. Nobody knew it. Imagine me that I was in the end of the world. <laughs> so the Gospels came in Albania, but nothing in me, nothing in my village. So in the age of six there, we used to do hard work. It's funny to, to see now, but in that time, to be six, you mean you to have to work hard for your living. And we used to, in six, get in the morning at 4.30 and go in the field with the lambs, with the sheep, or in the mountains to collect herbs for living, to help your family, and then get back and get ready for going to school. And this was the same kind of routine every day, was a hard living style. Especially to be a girl in Albania, especially in teenagers' years, is not easy. So... I have around me in my 60s people that love me so much, so much, they decide for my future. So they're in marriage in my 60s. So they say, oh, it's not good that, that the girl can be single, it's old now. So let's find someone, good boy, for, live in Greece, have some money, have a house, it's, it's all she needs. So they're in marriage in my 60s. So my life completely changed from that time. I wasn't free anymore to live like a teenager, to do things that bring me joy. 
I became a woman in my 60s. So it was a terrible time. I didn't know what to do. But when I look back now, I'm seeing that our life is never left behind. Like the song said, he left, doesn't leave no one for 99. He never left someone behind. So I was married, happy days for my family, for my relatives, but wasn't happy days for me. And I couldn't handle anymore this being a woman, being a marriage. I didn't know what to do with this thing. So I decided to come back from Greece. But to come back, divorced, in Albania, not just in Albania, but in village, was like biggest shame. I was so ashamed, and I was so left behind from others, from my family, from my relatives, from my friends. Nobody wanted to be friends with me because I was the black sheep of the whole village. So it was so hard. Now it's easy for me to say it, but the experience of this is terrible. So it was so hard, and I was like the same, going back to my old lifestyle, going back with the sheep, going back in the fields, going back, look after them every season. We didn't have the rainy jackets or rainy boots at the time, so we are completely wet from the morning to the five in the afternoon every day of the winter, but still we have to go there, look after them, protect them, and come back home. It's the same and the same until... On my, when I was 20, something changed. It's really something changed, but not for worse again, but completely changed for good. Because they have two ladies come in my village preaching a God, preaching God that came to save us. I didn't make sense. And they show I a movie and the time, movie in the village, wow, so it was the biggest tournament that you can find, movie. So we all went there, and I saw all the movie, but something stuck in my mind was Jesus in the cross. I don't know why, just that figure, Jesus in the cross. And I left that movie and continued the same. But that came to my mind all the time, Jesus in the cross. Someone in the cross, for what? I didn't make sense for me especially when the, the, the life that I grow up, it's not possible someone to die for you. You didn't do nothing for that. So it doesn't make sense. And uh, then they came to preach the gospel, like a kid's ministry. And so I went there for fun, to having fun, to, especially in the Christmas time. was the biggest thing that had happened. Because in Albania, we never celebrate Christmas. We never have Christmas. We didn't know what that mean, Christmas. Or just the new year, we find a tree in the forest and just make it a little bit nice. But no presents, no Christmas, no God dimension, nothing. So we went there for Christmas, just having fun and make some, take some gifts. It was fun. Some games, I don't know. It's like, now that you're looking back, it's different. And then, when I was 20... My brother's life changed. He believed in Jesus. And I, I watched at him and I said, what he has different? 
why is so different? Why is so in peace? Why is like take the things like easier? Why I don't have this? Why I don't I don't find joy? I don't find anything. It's just the boring lifestyle, hard lifestyle that you don't find any joy of it. So I sometimes later we have a nice argument with my brother fighting. <laughs> Everybody know that I think. And uh, he left the room. We discussed a lot. He left the room, and then I, I don't know why. I still I don't know why. I just hear the name of God, and I was in the middle of the room, in my knees, praying. A God that just hear that. I never knew him, but I just prayed to someone that I just hear that, and I felt something felt from my shoulders, something like. Something was so heavy in me, I couldn't handle anymore. So I felt it felt off my shoulders. I was so free. I was so in peace. But I wasn't sure if it was salvation or not. So I look at through the Bible. I, I have a Bible in time. I make some eight class school, so I know how to read it. And then I was reading the Bible... And one day, I was reading Matthew 9, verse 2, that said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. But the way that I hear that was different. Because the first time, I heard the most amazing voice that someone can hear. I hear the voice, not just the word. The voice come to me and said, Take heart, my daughter. It's very clear. Take heart, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And this I was sure, yes, now I am sure that God made me free. God set me free. I am forgiven. And I still have a lifestyle, but was so different now. I was a shepherd. I was learning for a good shepherd. I'm learning for a good shepherd. And when you see your lifestyle shepherd, it's always is the first one getting up, first one get ready and go in the front of the ship to leading them or in the back of them protecting them. It's always there. It's never sitting, always standing. A shepherd is always standing. And God took me to the John 10 and all these verses about the good shepherd. And he showed me that you are a shepherd. Good. This is good. So you're going to know me like I am a shepherd now. And he goes, I am a good shepherd of you. I know you. I know your face. I know your voice. And I can hear your voice. I can find you if you go another place with other sheep. I can see you in the face and say, yeah, this is my shepherd, my sheep. I'm going to find, go and find her. And he teach me this. Every day, he's still teaching me how is the bishop in the God, God Shepherd. <laughs> and he teach me, like, call me. I know you. You are not just, just a voice somewhere. You are the voice of my ship. I recognize you everywhere you go. I recognize your, your voice. And if you go to the valleys, I am there. You can't go in the valleys on your own. You can't handle the valleys on your own. They are too dangerous for you. He teach me that if you go to the valleys, 
of this world, I am there. And if I am there, you, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be fearful. Because I am there. I went there before you. And I'm still there for you. So he teach me, if I go there, I am before you. I prepare that place. If it looks dark, if it doesn't make sense, I prepare that place. So you can trust me. I'm going to lead you behind this valley. I'm going to lead you behind this darkness. I'm going to teach you the right path. So he know me. He know us. Every each of us he know by face, by voice. But every struggle, every field, everywhere we are, he know our language, he know our voice. And he make us free. He teach me how to be free and joy in God, good shepherd. Because if God is in front of you, you are free. Sheep are so free, they jump from joy when the shepherd is near them. Yes. <laughs> and we have to do the same. Rejoice because God is in front of us, is in the back of us, is in the middle. He's a good, good shepherd. So this Christmas, if you feel like you're going through the valleys, or if you feel like, like, like if you feel like you're going through the valleys, Bonner and I would just want to encourage this constant, consistent, everlasting, ever forgiving, and always there for us. So. Whatever we go through in these next weeks coming up to Christmas, it can be a difficult time. Just remember that God is there in the valleys and we grow. Things grow in the valleys. That's where growth comes from. So a lot of the things that we've talked about this morning, like uh, being married off at the age of 15 and uh, the addiction, all of this, we're not looking to God for answers because some of these things we're not skilled to understand some of these things this side of heaven are going to remain a mystery so we just want to give God all of the glory for this morning and for uh, bringing us here and just thank Pete and the worship team they did a great job